us. 1 Peter 4.10 refers to spiritual gifts as a display of the manifold grace of God. And that's why we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And the purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God. 1 Peter 4.11, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up Christ's church. 1 Corinthians 14.12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. It's for maturity. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that when every member is operating in their spiritual gifts, the church, the, the church body, we are growing in maturity into Christ-likeness. And also at times, God will use spiritual gifts to get the attention of non-believers. To show them that Christianity is supernatural. That, that's the point of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard? And listen, verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Just like for that kid. Just like for that kid that was hardening his heart toward the gospel and all for him, what God used to take him to bring him to that place of saying, okay, I get it, something supernatural is happening here, is hearing someone that doesn't speak a word of Arabic to speak in Arabic. So here's a practical question. So how can I know what my spiritual gift is? How can you know what your spiritual gift is? Because we all have at least one. There are three words I want you to keep in mind. And and I I really want to be sensitive to the time because I want to... I want to give time for us to just wait on the Lord for this. But at the same time, since I'm the one up here, I'm going to say what needs to be said. (laughs) Three words I want you to think about. First, inclination. Inclination. Ask yourself the question, how do I naturally, but really supernaturally, meet the needs of others inside and outside the church? I have a seven-year-old girl. Now try to imagine if my little girl Anna came walking in to this building with a big glass of ice cold water. Because she wants to bless her papa. She sees that I've been speaking and she's thinking, I wonder if his throat's dry. I think I'm going to get him a big cup of water. And so as she comes in and she's on her way to give me this glass of water, she trips and falls. The cup goes in the air, and as it hits the ground, there's a mess as water is spread everywhere. There's chunks of ice all over the place. 
at that moment, it would be interesting to watch how everybody responds. One person might get up and say, might go to Anna and just come to her. And, and one of you ladies might just hold her and say, gosh, Anna, it's okay. That was just so nice. And it was just so neat how you wanted to bless your papa by bringing the water. Don't feel so bad. As she's crying, those big crocodile tears coming. Don't feel so bad. Everything's going to be okay. You probably have the gift of mercy. Another person will say, hey, hey, I got this, I got this. And they run to the janitor's closet and pulls out a a mop and grabs the bucket and towels and begins to clean things up. You probably have the gift of ministry and helps. Another of you might come up to Anna and say, hey, Anna, I saw what you were doing. It's awesome that you want to take that cup of water to your dad. Don't give up. Go, go get another glass of water. Don't give up. Go get another glass of water and get it to your dad. You have the gift of exhortation. Someone else might say, hey, Anna, the next time you bring in that big cup of water for your dad, here's what I want you to do. Instead of trying to balance it on one hand, make sure you got two hands on it. Keep your eye on the glass because you filled it to the brim. You may not want to fill it that high next time, but but next time keep your eye on the glass, but also you got to be watching where you're going. You probably have the gift of teaching. And someone might come up to you and say, hey, Anna, I just want you to know, I saw you and I just couldn't help but just gain a sense that the Lord knows how much he loves you and how happy it made you that you wanted to take that water to your dad. God's smiling on you, Anna. That is the gift of prophecy. Where's your inclination? Your inclination generally is a good indication of what your spiritual gift is. The second word I want you to think is not only inclination, but affirmation. Affirmation. What spiritual gifts do others see in me? Like I said earlier, I found more often than not, other people are able to identify spiritual gifts a lot faster than we are ourselves about ourselves. And sometimes you may know what your spiritual gift is, but you still question if it really is a valid spiritual gift until you hear someone teaching about it, like tonight, or someone comes and says, man, I've been watching you and, and the way you serve, and you really have this gift. And that's another way for you to identify that gift. And then there's number three, demonstration. So there's inclination, affirmation, and demonstration. Now, demonstration asks the question, where do I see fruitfulness in my service inside and outside the church? When you're operating in your spiritual gift, it will produce Christ-exalting fruit. For me, I know that a spiritual gift that God has given me is the gift of teaching. I could see it on your faces. I can see light bulbs clicking on. 
I can see smiles on your face. I, can, I look at you and I see, for some of you, you're having an aha moment. That's encouraging for me. That's the demonstration. That's the fruit. And your life is going to produce fruit too as you're operating in those gifts. Well, I've gone too long, so let me just wrap this up so we move into a time of just waiting on the Lord. We talked about pursuing love. Guys, the fruit of the Spirit must always be esteemed above the gifts of the Spirit without compromising the importance of the gifts of the Spirit. Then we talked about earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So this was a, a rapid tour through this topic of spiritual gifts. And for you that were with us this afternoon, you remember I recommended a book by a man named Sam Storms called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. That is an excellent book. The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. Very pastoral, very solid theologically, and just a great introduction um, to the subject of spiritual gifts. But I want to th- talk, though, about this statement because it's something that is generally overlooked, especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. Remember, the purpose of spiritual gifts is building up God's people, and there is none more powerful in strengthening and helping the church than the gift of prophecy. Why? Well, because the gift of prophecy does more to give us a sense of God's presence than any other gift. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, that when the gift of prophecy is exercised, that people will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So what is the gift of prophecy? I've given you a real general definition, but here's a more precision definition. Quote, And this is from Sam Storms. He defined the gift of prophecy this way. It is the human reporting of divine revelation, speaking forth in merely human words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. So when the gift of prophecy is directed toward an individual person, it might be addressing something you've done or something that you're doing or something that you're going to do. But let me say this. This is really important. The gift of prophecy is not the same as the Old Testament prophets who spoke the very words of God. The New Testament gift of prophecy is not is not reporting the very words of God which must be obeyed. Instead, it is the reporting of merely in in human words something that God has brought to mind. The gift of prophecy is never on par with Scripture. The gift of prophecy never supplants Scripture. It is not equal in authority to Scripture. It does not amend Scripture. They are never to be taken as Scripture. But instead, it is, these are human words reporting what God has revealed 
But listen, in the end, the Bible is the final authority. That's why it says that prophecy should be tested. But let's also recognize when there is valid prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.3 tells us that the purpose of the gift of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So if someone is yelling and tearing you down and making you feel like God doesn't love you because you're not meeting a certain standard or quota, and they're saying, God is speaking to me right now, and he wants me to say to you, and he is just giving you the beat down, that is not the gift of prophecy. Yet, the next time you watch a tele-evangelist, why don't you hit the mute button and see what they look like? just look angry all the time. Even when they're talking about the love of Jesus, they look angry. And they say, it's God speaking right now. That's not prophecy. Prophecy will always strengthen God's people, encourage God's people, and comfort God's people. So some ways that the gift of prophecy will come to us, it might come by way of a timely word. Have, have you ever had someone come and just share something that's like, wow, I needed to hear that right now? Just that timely word, that strengthening, encouraging, comforting word, it might come as that encouraging word, it, and it might be something that reveals the future. Like I shared that first night, remember how I was at the prayer meeting and God spoke that word of prophecy over my life? Did I tell you that story? I didn't tell you that story? About going to Brazil, going to the prayer meeting. Oh, I, I'm getting all mixed up with our prayer meeting at church. Back in 2001, God, be, God called me to be a missionary in Brazil. That was not something I thought would be in my future, but God showed up, and he put it in my heart, and I knew I was supposed to go to Brazil and be a missionary. I first met with my leadership, talked with them, prayed with them. It became clear to them I was supposed to go. So they um, said, why don't you present this to the church? Let them know so we can start praying for you. And so every Saturday night we would gather. There would be about 80 to 100 people on, a, on any given Saturday, and we would just pray as a church at that prayer meeting. And while I was there, God would give people specific prophecies. And one of the prophecies that was given one lady stood up and said, John, the Lord has shown me that when you're in Brazil, you will become the director of a Bible college. And I held on to that. That was a series of a handful of prophecies that was spoken over my life. Now, fast forward a couple of years. Now I'm in Brazil. I'd gone over with a team of people, but two years into my stay in Brazil, all the Americans that I was with, they were packing up their bags to go back home. I was still single, I couldn't speak Portuguese, and I'm in, a, in an urban concrete city of over three million people. Now I'm feeling very alone. And so I'm watching my friends packing up their suitcases and I'm ready to go home and pack up my suitcases so I can go back to America. I'm thinking, hey, I've given two years of my life, I think I can go back. But then I was reminded of that particular prophecy. And I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. God spoke to me that I will become the director of a Bible college. Now, I'm still in the process of planting a church. I just want to see a church get planted, let alone a Bible college. But I determined at that moment I will stay in Brazil as long as it takes so I can see the fulfillment of that prophecy. 
And in the back of my mind, I thought that would be 20 years from that point. And so I resolved, Lord, I will wait 20 years to see that prophecy fulfilled. One month later, I get a phone call from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And they say, hey, John, um, we just wanted to let you know Pastor Chuck Smith is flying down to Brazil to look at a piece of property down in Brazil. There's a missionary, him and his family, who had gone to um, Bible college with Pastor Chuck 50-plus years ago at that time. And they've been missionaries down in Brazil, and they've got 200 acres of land, and they want to give it to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And Chuck wants you to meet him there. So I flew out, met up with Pastor Chuck and some of the board members of the church, and we walked through the facility. And the next morning, as we were having breakfast at Pastor Chuck's hotel room, he looks at me and he says, we've been talking and we're wanting to start a Bible college, and we really feel like you're supposed to be the director of it. That gave me enough grace to stay in Brazil another eight more years that I, I pastored three churches in Brazil, was there for 10 years, and the, then the Lord supernaturally, I mean literally, he supernaturally through a series of events brought me back to Southern California. So that prophetic word meant something to me because I was about to quit ministry, but God used it to keep me going. It may also come in the form of a rebuke or an exhortation not to beat you down, but to gently correct you, to get you realigned and on the right track. Because it's helpful for us. So what should our response be? One, we should not despise the gift of prophecy. First Thessalonians five nineteen through 21 says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. And we see here that we should earnestly desire to prophesy because the spiritual gifts comes to us from God and he's sovereign and so he determines to either entrust us with it or to withhold it from us. But it's his grace. He determines it. Let's remember he's gracious. It doesn't come to us because we deserve it. It comes to us because of grace. And he's loving. He chooses to do what's best in us and through us and the people around us. So, in view of this, we should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but when we're like together like this, when we're with other people, we should also earnestly desire to prophesy that, we, that God would use us to bring an encouraging word from him to other people around us. And this is how we function as members of the body. But let me say this about spiritual gifts. There are two categories of spiritual gifts. There are permanent gifts because of your position in the body of Christ, there are some gifts that are essential for your placement in the body as a member. And so those gifts are permanent. Like for me, God has called me to be a pastor teacher. So teaching has to be a permanent gift in my life. So for me, whenever there's an opportunity to teach... I know that God will be there to give me the grace to teach. But the majority of the gifts that we talked about, they're not necessarily under the category of permanent gifts. But the majority of the spiritual gifts are gifts that God gives to people individually as he wills, as, 
as certain needs arise. Which means, and this is the exciting part, which means that these gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12, every single one of us, we all have the potential Every person in this room has the potential of exercising those spiritual gifts. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone is going to. But we all have the potential of being used by God in manifesting those gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I bring that up is because I've met some Christians that will say this. Well, I'm not going to go to the hospital to go make hospital visitations for that person in the church because I just don't have the gift of mercy. No. God can give you the gift of mercy. If love is going to move you to go and visit that person in need, God will supply you with the spiritual gift that is most needed for you to go and effectively encourage and minister to that person. You know what the best way for you to discover what your spiritual gifts are? Just start serving in the church. Instead of being a spectator, let's remember that we are all active members of the body of Christ. No one, no one categorizes those things. We are all, by default, active members of the body of Christ. Some people are just more active than others. But in God's economy, there is no such thing as an inactive spectator. No, we choose to be that, but that, that doesn't exist in God's plan for the church. If there's a need in children's ministry... Don't say, well, you know what, I just don't have the gift of teaching, so I can't go volunteer in children's ministry. No, the potential is there in every believer. So if you hear of needs, by faith just say, I'll do it. I mean, if no one else is going to, I'll do it. And you'll see that if by faith you go and serve in that area, God will meet you with supernatural power and with gifting for you to be able to meet that. So none of us should categorize ourselves and say, I can only do this kind of ministry, but I can't do that ministry because I don't have that gifting like that person. I only have this gifting. No. Now, some of you might be called to specific offices in the church. Like I said, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And there are going to be certain gifts that you need in order to function. But for all of us as the members of the body of Christ, any of these gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12, you may, you are, uh, or, uh, the potential is there for any of us to exercise any of those gifts. But God is the one who sovereignly decides to whom he entrusts that gift, for how long, and at the same time, by his grace, he could also remove it and yet, that doesn't mean that you'll never operate it in again. He may just bring it again at another time when the need is there. And that's pretty cool. Now, I know I've gone too long. But I have to just close with this final verse. Can I encourage you, don't run away from spiritual gifts, especially because of fear. God didn't save us and create us created us to be isolated, individualistic people. When God saved us, he brought us into a community of believers. We are to be with other people, and we are to be interacting with them, engaging with them, and serving them. 
And sometimes the fear factor could be pretty high. Because as we exercise these gifts, sometimes we're just afraid that we're going to make a mess of things. Guys, exercising spiritual gifts, especially when you're beginning, it will be messy. But I'll tell you what, I would rather have a baby who poops his diaper than a baby that never soils his diaper because that messy diaper means that there are signs of life that's there. The problem isn't the mess. The problem is simply maturity, right? Until that child is able to go to the toilet by himself and not need diapers. It's all a process of growing. And, and whenever people are beginning to learn spiritual gifts, it's going to be messy. But give me the mess. Because the problem is never spiritual gifts. The problem is always carnality and immaturity. Because here's the thing that's so crazy to me. The Corinthians, they were carnal. And all the gifts of the Spirit were being exercised. And you would think that Paul would say, all right, let's, let's hold it for a while. You guys are just out of control with spiritual gifts, so let's take a pause. You guys need a timeout so that we can start thinking more on theology than the spiritual gifts. Is that what Paul tells the Corinthians? No, he tells these people that are messy with spiritual gifts, earnestly desire more spiritual gifts. I mean, for some people, they think of that like going to an alcoholic and saying, drink more. Why? Because the Bible never teaches us stop spiritual gifts. But what the Bible teaches us is do spiritual gifts better. And the way that you know that you're going to grow in the proper usage and exercising of spiritual gifts is if you follow the order. Number one, pursue love. Whenever you put spiritual gifts before pursue love, if you start saying earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and then pursue love, everything will get messed up. It will be arrogant. It will be abused. It will be proud. It will, you will have carnality. But if you pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, the church will mature. And isn't that what we want? to be a part of not a church that is just existing, limping by, but a church that is thriving, powerful. People walking into churches and saying, the Lord is among you. People getting saved. People being sanctified. Missionaries being sent out. Churches being planted. Prayer meeting being vibrant. Worship being loud and passionate. Teaching with precision and prophetic and lives are being transformed. I don't know about us, but I know that's what God wants for these congregations. And if God wants that for us, why would we not want that for us? Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And here it is. And I remind you to fan into, the, into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't let fear, don't let unbelief be the cause of you holding back from experience all, experiencing all that the Lord wants for you. I'm going to have Joel come on up, and we're just going to have a time of just ministering to the Lord.
And let me just share this story, one last story. When I was a senior in high school, I was at a summer camp. And on this particular retreat, the theme was like this one, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And on this particular day, we had a speaker, uh, a Calvary Chapel pastor down in San Diego, Pastor Ray Bentley. And he taught on the subject of spiritual gifts. And after he finished teaching, he said, you know what, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're just going to wait on the Lord and just see what he might do in our lives. We're not, we don't want to try to manufacture anything. We don't want to manipulate our emotions. We, we don't want to do any of that stuff. We just, whatever happens, we just don't want to walk out with anything that resembles fake. I mean, we're sick and tired of that, right? I mean, it's just like, like I'm just exhausted of, of how Christians have lost discernment, and they, just, they look at things that are just fake, and they label it spiritual. God, God is not into fake. So we want the authentic. And so during the break, I went out and I prayed. And I said, Lord, I, I've been baptized with the Spirit. I'm born of the Spirit. I, I, I saw that there were gifts of the Spirit that were already operating in me. You know, when I was in high school, I, was, I already had a teaching ministry by that time. But I said, but Lord, if there's something more you want to give me, I, I just want what you have for me. I'm open. I'm in. Now, at this time, I, I theologically believed in the gift of tongues, but by experience, it was foreign to me. And so when people would come to me and say, John, do you have a prayer language? You know, because they, they would gauge spirituality. and they're, What's your, Do you have a prayer language? I would say, yes, I have a prayer language. And they're like, oh, awesome. Do you know what your prayer language is? I'd say, yes, English. That's my prayer language. But I knew what they meant. They were talking about tongues. So I was content. I was doing evangelism. I was, I was thriving in that. I mean, it was all because of God's grace. And, but I knew I wanted something more. So as we started waiting on the Lord, we were just singing simple love songs to Jesus. That's all we were doing. There was no pulling out the handkerchief and waving it in the air. We didn't even dim the lights and create the ambiance. We kept all the lights on. We had just a guy with a guitar up there, and we were just singing songs. I was sitting in the back of the auditorium, and as I was singing these love songs to Jesus, next thing I knew, it just felt like wave upon wave of God's love started crashing over me. And next thing I knew is I got off my chair and on my knees and tears were flowing and I just kept saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And the more I kept talking, I realized the I love you, Jesus turned into another language. And I was speaking in tongues, and it just happened so naturally that I just forgot it was supernatural. All of a sudden, as I just kept going, and I'm just, just, just overflowing with love for Jesus in another language. Well, there was a visiting missionary at the time. And during this whole time, he leans over to me later, and he says, hey, 
do you know who that girl is over there? And I looked over and I go, yeah, I know who she is. He's like, dude, he was a missionary in, from Uganda. And he said, that girl right now is praying in fluent Swahili. And I said, I know that girl. And I could tell you, she does not know Swahili. In fact, it was a, a, there, were, there were different pockets of just high schoolers, and they just started praising the Lord in different languages. But it wasn't manufactured. There was none of this, okay, now, everybody, let me coach you now. Everybody repeat after me. I should have bought a Honda. I should have bought a Honda. I should have bought a Honda. Now, I'll say it as fast as you can. I should have bought a Honda. 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 There was none of that. All we did was just sing simple love songs to Jesus. And Jesus just overwhelmed us with his love. Now, I've been a part of different times where we wait on the Lord, and we did that, and God just ministered to people. But there were no tongues, and, and, and there were no, you know, miracles necessarily. But there were definitely things going on in people's hearts. But the Bible says, who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has become his counselor? I mean, if we just really want what God wants for us tonight, then just let him do that for us instead of trying to think that we can twist his arm and, and think, well, this night, this isn't a real legitimate afterglow unless we have at least five or ten people praying in uncontrolled tongues. And then that's a real prayer meeting, and that's a real afterglow. No. Let's just let Jesus take full ownership of this time now. And again, like last time, I know that some of you, it's late. It's late, and you just need to get home. And if you need to get going, God bless you. But I pray that what the Lord does here, that you're able to take while you're in the car or when you're home. But if some of you can hang out for a few minutes, we're just going to sing. I'm going to get off the stage. I'm going to let Joel lead it. But at any time, I, I talked with Mike, Michael and and Matt, and Abraham, so just even among the four of us, at any time, if we feel like the Lord wants us to share something or to lead in a way, um, they're just going to come up and, uh, and, and say something or lead us in a way, or none of us might come up, and we'll just sing until at the end when, when Pastor Michael comes up and closes us out in prayer. But at least we've just spent time in the presence of Jesus, expecting him to do a good work in us, earnestly desiring these spiritual gifts, and let's see what the Lord will do. All right? Are you ready for this? <laughs> it's all good. And, and don't think things are going to get weird, because let me ask you a question. Is Jesus weird? And if John said, John the Baptist said that Jesus is the one who baptizes us with the Spirit, then that means that all the weirdness we've seen, it doesn't resemble Jesus. Because when Jesus does the supernatural, it's big, it's supernatural, but there is nothing that resembles weirdness. Because Jesus is the one doing it, right? So, Lord, this is your night. Take us wherever you want to take us, Lord. We just want to yield our lives to you right now. In Jesus' name. I know that we've been sitting for a long time, so at least in this song, let's all stand up. And after this song, if you want to remain standing, you can. If you want to sit down, you can.